And now for something completely different. Ah! Forget everything you've been told by others before. Get ready for the real deal. The full story. Real talk about money, markets, life. Now, it's The Real Investment Show with Lance Roberts. Presented by RIA Advisors. And good morning and welcome to the Tuesday edition of The Real Investment Show. Yes, it's Tuesday. We're working our way towards Thanksgiving. Right around the corner. It's almost here. I think I can make it. Um, lots of emails. I talked about you know yesterday. I must have jinxed it because yesterday I was talking about Black Friday started like a month ago. I got like eight emails yesterday from Best Buy talking about Best Buy, you know, Black Friday sales, etc. And I'm telling you, they're listening to you on the phone. Anyway, a uh, couple of things. Markets did uh, rally a bit yesterday. We're going to talk a little bit about that. Um, but one of the big news items today, previously valued at $47 billion, WeWork is now WeBroke because they are filing bankruptcy chapter 11 uh, today. So a very interesting turn of events. You know, we talked about this previously is that, you know, this was in the height of that whole kind of disruption you know, kind of phase of, of our markets. You know, we've gone through disruption and we had all these companies that were going to be disruptors. And that was really the, la la the launch of the ARC ETF. Uh, Kathy Wood, of course, buying all these companies are going to disrupt the world as we know it. Uh, WeWork was going to disrupt the office rental space by creating an office rental space that was just like every other office rental space. You lease space into a big office you put some fancy decorations in it, you call it WeWork, and that was gonna disrupt the whole space. It, it, it was just basically Regis with a different name. <laughs> so, um, but it got garnered this massive valuation. This was because money was just chasing anything at that moment um, that was considered to be a disruptor space. And this is always the challenge with markets. You know, we talk about IPOs, we talk about these type of things previously where, you know, be careful about chasing some narrative of the moment because that narrative will change regardless of what it is. You know, we had, we've had a narrative over the last year or so is that interest rates are going up because of the debts and the deficits and they're just going to keep going on up for here forever and that's not going to be the case, right? That's the narrative for now and that will change when the next event comes along, right? And so it's always important to, to and as we talked about before, you know, in, in various forms on the show, be careful about narratives. Narratives are very dangerous to your investment portfolio over time. What always works is to forget about the narrative and buy fundamental value, buy companies that are growing earnings, buy companies that have growing sales. They have, you know, a very strong moat around their business. These are the type of things that, that you want to do. Now, you know, we can talk about AI for a second, right? So AI, currently the narrative earlier this year has kind of faded from the headlines here lately, but you know, that was driving anything AI related. We had companies coming out that had nothing to do with AI talking about how they're going to incorporate AI into their business. And we were giving these companies big valuations. But you know, when it comes down to it, you know, what drives AI is you have the programming, but you got to have the chips and the GPUs to drive that. NVIDIA, has got the moat, right? They have the fundamentals, they have the product, and they have a very big moat around their business. Now, there's other companies that are trying to invade into that business. AMD, as an example, um, is, you know, other companies as well, trying to develop GPUs and chips to 
take advantage of that AI space, but NVIDIA has a very good foothold on that space for right now. So that's a company that you can look at that has a moat around their business. I'm just using that example. I'm not saying go out and buy NVIDIA today. I'm not saying that at all. Uh, all I'm saying is, is that you want to look for companies that have a very strong foothold in their markets and are basically uh, having trouble or where other competitors have trouble invading that space. And so, and so those make better companies to own longer term. So, you know, WeWork was a, a great idea, uh, but it was overvalued. People threw too much money into it and the return simply wasn't there. And then there was other stuff that went on with it as well with the owner. But, you know, again, the, this is how those type of things eventually turn out over time. So again, we work now, we broke, and we're going to have to see what that kind of filters out into the markets. Um, outside of that though, last couple of days uh, certainly have been good for the markets going back to last week. We had a very strong rally all of last week. Uh, but market was sloppy yesterday, um, but did actually finish on the upside uh, uh, just a bit by yesterday's close. But here's what you need to know before the bell this morning. Um, markets, as I said, closed up above the 50-day moving average yesterday. That's good news. And again, we're still trying to hold that for right now. Now, this morning, uh, futures are a little bit weak. Not surprising. Markets have gone very far, very quickly here. So a little bit of a sell-off here, a little bit of a, a retest of support, example, um, won't be surprising. Now, again, you know, we could break back below this 50-day moving average. That's okay. That wouldn't be a shocking endeavor here at any stretch of the imagination. Uh, we have the 20-day moving average starting to turn up here as well. So again, we're starting to put a little momentum back into the markets. Um, so you know, if this market continues to kind of stay within this range for right now, uh, again, that wouldn't be a surprising event after such a big move in such a very, very short period of time. But importantly, the market you know, continues to just kind of trade within this current trading range right now. We've been in this downtrend now uh, ever since really kind of July. Markets have traded from the bottom to the top of that range numerous times. We're back at the top of that range. So again, you know, we could see this market pull back here a bit um, you know, as we kind of migrate here towards Thanksgiving now. Uh, the, the market performance going into Thanksgiving historically tends to be a little bit sloppy. Um, after we get through Thanksgiving, through Black Friday, <laughs> through Thanksgiving, through the holiday, um, markets tend to reassess. We typically have a bit of a rally in the last week of, thanks, uh, last week of November, first week of December. Um, so again, you know, we could see this market pull back a bit and then rally heading into December. And then of course, once we get into early December, you typically have a little bit of sell-off in the second and third week of December heading into Christmas because mutual funds are having to distribute capital gains and interest and income, dividends, etc. So they have to sell positions to make those distributions. Market tends to be a little bit weak for those two weeks. And then of course they have to reposition for the end of the year for reporting purposes to make sure they have all the right stocks on their books. So you have that window dressing and that's the Santa Claus rally. Um, what we're looking for here and if we're going to have a better tone set for the markets going into the end of the year, we need a bit of a breakout to the upside of this trend channel. Um, as long as we, if we can get out of this trend channel, that would be positive. So again, if we can have this bit of a pullback and then set a higher low, which would give us a bit of a positive divergence. And again, this is all, this is all ifs at the moment. This is what we're looking for to confirm that we're getting a little bit more bullish market to trade with. 
Um, we want to see this kind of, of setup here where the market is looking to start working its way higher, at least in the short term. Now, a failure, um, if the markets do come back down here, take out the 200-day moving average, we're going to have a retest of that recent low. So again, there's certainly risk to the downside, and we don't want to negate that at all. But you know what we're hoping for here is going into the end of the year, markets are still oversold. Um, we still don't have a, a real you know, negative catalyst at the moment for the markets. Things are, are kind of holding in there. Earnings have been good. So if we're looking for an end of the year rally, this is where the market needs to start putting that together um, as we start to see the last couple of months of this year kind of start to kind of form out. So again, this is kind of the setup that we've got at the moment. It's again, just kind of trade this from day to day right now. There's certainly risk here. One thing that we had talked about over, you know, before we actually got this rally week before last was if we got this rally, use that to rebalance your portfolio, reduce risk, whatever you need to do. Yesterday, we did some rebalancing in our portfolio. We trimmed back on Apple. We added to Google, Microsoft, and some others in our, in our portfolios that have been stronger performers. So again, doing some of that rebalancing work in your portfolio certainly makes some sense here um, after such a strong run last week. That's what you need to know before the bell this morning. When we come back, lots of stuff to get into. So don't go away. More The Real Investment Show coming right up. Get daily investment news you can use. Delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com. And welcome back to the show, of course. Um, you know, a couple of things that have been kind of grabbing headline attention, you know, over the last couple of days, of course, has been, you know, this big rally in the markets, as I was talking about, but also the big drop in bond yields. And uh, that's really the subject of today's technically uh, Tuesday report on our website at realinvestmentadvice.com. Talking about this kind of reversal in yields all of a sudden this, this very big move uh that happened following the, the latest fomc meeting and the question of course now is this the end of the of the bond bear market and you know are we now going to see brighter days ahead for bonds as you know things begin to reverse well it's, it's an interesting you know kind of a situation uh from that standpoint because there's certainly some reasons why we could see an improvement or a reversal in the in the bond market uh, to better days. But that also poses problems uh, for the Federal Reserve, as we've talked about before. And, you know, so so again, just, you know, something that we're that we're thinking about now, let's kind of go back to the recent FOMC meeting. And Brandon, I might have a few charts to share. Um, go back to the this recent FOMC meeting you know Powell made a couple of statements um, you know he says look process of getting inflation to two percent remains our goal and we have a long way to go right they're at 3.9 ish uh, they want to get to two so they have a long ways to go so again you know they keep leaving out this idea of one more rate hike we might need to hike rates some more because we got to get inflation down but yet they haven't done it since June right they have not hiked since June we've had the the June meeting, September meeting, November meeting, haven't hiked yet, right? And there's not really indication they're going to hike in December either at this point. 
one of the things they kept referring to was is this very sharp rise in yields that we saw this summer that was doing the work for them. And these higher yields, of course, on the 10-year Treasury fed into mortgage rates and car loans and everything else. And that was doing the work of tightening monetary policy for them. So they didn't need to hike rates. And that was really kind of what the, fo the market kind of focused on here, um, just at the, you know, following this latest FOMC meeting, uh, yields really started to have a, a, a big rally. And we, we saw those, we saw bond prices rise sharply. We saw yields drop just since last week. And, you know, but this is actually this, this tenor change to bonds has actually been occurring now for a while. And if we take a look at a technical chart of bond prices, now I know we get into a bunch of technical mumbo jumbo here from time to time. Don't worry about it so much. It's really not that important. Just get the concept, right? The concept's what's important. But we are seeing a change of, of tone in the bond market recently over the last couple of months, really since October. So even as yields were rising, and now this is a, this is a picture of bond prices, right? Not yields. So yields are doing the opposite, right? Because there's an inverse relationship between bond price and yields. But this is a chart of TLT um, as an example. Um, but we saw that, you know, the market is forming, is or in the process of forming a what we call a bottoming process. And it's an inverse head and shoulders. Again, technical pattern, don't worry about it. Just suggest that we're seeing a bottoming in bond prices. So yields around 5% seem to be right now at least kind of the peak of where yields are going to kind of stop, stop rising. And so we, we saw bond prices kind of form this bottom. And at the same time we saw bond prices kind of form this bottom, we got a, a, a positive divergence in both relative strength as well as the MACD um, indicator. And, and again, all this positive divergence means is that even though prices were still going lower, the underlying action in the market was becoming more positive. And so there was this kind of non-confirming view by the internal actions of the markets. In other words, people were buying, you know, money flows going into TLT, an example, were increasing even as bond prices were falling. And you should normally see that, but you do see that around normally where you find bottoms in the market. So, uh, so again, not surprising. We kind of saw this bottoming process start to form. Now, we're not complete with this yet. Now, there's some, you know, something could certainly happen here. The Fed comes out at the next meeting in December, says, nope, changed our mind. We're going to have to raise rates a whole bunch more, and you know, we're going to set new lows on bond prices, right? Uh, but if we do work through this process and we form that higher low, and then move higher from there, we will have a very nice bottom in bond prices that suggests that the bond bear market is indeed over, at least for the time being. Now, there's some other kind of technical things that are going on as well that kind of confirm this. Now, first of all, we've, we've talked about before when it comes to bond prices that you've had the largest drawdown in bond prices on record. I mean, it's just, it, it, you know, and, and we've talked about before since 1787, you haven't had three years of a drawdown in a row uh, for bond prices ever, right? This will be the first year if we finish this year negative. And, and so we'll see what happens. But those things don't happen often and or ever. 
And so when you have these very big drawdowns in anything, right, you're eventually going to have a reversal. That's, you know, things just don't go down and stay down. This is, the, this is the mental psychology that we get ourselves into, though, is that when we think things are going down, well, they're just going to go down forever, and, you know, I don't want to own them. And then when they do turn, we wind up trying to chase them as they go back up. So this is kind of what's going on with the markets right now. And, and again, I lost my chart. Uh, one second, please. Where'd it go? There it is. So the other thing, you know, again, when we take a look at this, is that we've had the largest drawdown in bond prices um, going back to 1923. Uh, again, you go back and look through history, there are periods where you certainly have these drawdowns in bond prices, but they don't stay down forever, right? Again, there's, there's reversals. You can have drawdowns on a regular basis that, that occurs, and then they reverse. And this is the important thing to remember is that just, you know, prices don't move in one direction. Uh, importantly, though, when we start looking at kind of the technical backdrop of how interest rates move, we're now trading at very extreme deviations from average prices. Now, again, when we talk, we've talked about this before, and this is important, but normally when you move prices of anything, whether it's a stock or a bond, anything, very far in one direction, we talk about the, the idea of a you know, stretching a rubber band, that when you stretch that rubber band as far as you can in one direction, it has to snap back in the opposite direction before it can be stretched again. So normally when interest rates get you know, well above or deviated above their one-year moving average, you're going to get a correction back to that moving average or below it, generally below it. We're now more extremely stretched than we've been since the turn of the century on interest rates. So you're going to get a reversal, right? So again, this is just kind of the whole thesis behind you know, the investing side of the, of the markets is that just from technical perspectives, you are going to get a reversal in bond prices. Now, the question, of course, is what causes that reversal in bond prices, right? Um, if, we, if we look further back on using a monthly chart and we stretch that back to the 1960s, we can see that every time bonds have been this overbought and this stretched, it's been the time to buy bonds. And again, we've never seen indicators as stretched as they are currently in this market, going back to the 1960s. What, so what causes that reversal? Well, historically, what causes that reversal is either a financial crisis of some sort, an economic recession, a event of, of something. And when you talk about having as much leverage as we have in our economy currently, high interest rates negatively impact that leverage, something's going to give. And the question is just when does it give? We don't, and, and again, this is the, the question that we don't know the answer to. We don't know the timing of it. We don't know what will cause it. But eventually, when you apply pressure to something long enough, and particularly in an economy that is heavily leveraged, dependent on credit card debt, dependent on auto loan debt, dependent on, on mortgage debt, eventually something breaks. We work, as an example, is that a, a symptom of what's going on? Well, partly, right? But what we're going to find out 
really is probably somewhere in the financial system. It'll be somewhere within the credit markets that something eventually breaks. Now, what will it be? I don't know. So far, everything's been holding together pretty well, other than regional banks. But historically, either a very bad recession or some type of financial-related event has caused money to leave areas of risk and move into safety, which has been treasuries. And this is, this is why whenever you see a spike or a peak in interest rates, there is always some relative event surrounding that peak in rates, whether it was the 1994 bond crash or whether it was the SNL crisis back in the 80s or whether it was long-term capital management in 98 or whether it was the financial crisis in 2007. There's always an event related to a peak in bond prices. Sorry, and, and interest rates. And then, of course, the Federal Reserve has to start backing up and reversing their actions. Now, here's the problem, though. For the Fed, and we'll talk about this on the other side of the break, this is a problem for the Fed. This move in yields is problematic for the Fed. And we'll talk about why when we come back from the break. Don't go away. The article on the website now, realinvestmentadvice.com. Don't go away. advice blog it's required reading for the informed investor catch it today at realinvestmentadvice.com so welcome back to the show so just talking a little bit about bonds and and again this has been a, a big topic big question right now of course is whether or not the bond bear market is over and depending on what camp you're in whether you're uber bearish or uber bullish you can make your own you know case for one way or the other if you're uber bearish on bonds it's the debts and the deficits and you know inflation and those type of things if you're a bit more on the bullish side you know you can make your case there as well i thought it was interesting jeff gunlack um just recently came out made the statement says we like long-term treasury bonds for the short-term trade going into a recession the 30-year U.S. Treasury yield downtrend of the past four decades has completely reversed, skyrocketing nearly 400 basis points in under two years. There has been about a 50% drawdown in the long bond, which means there is now a potential for a long bond to increase in price. And that's right. Um, if you get into a recession, you get slower economic growth, you get slower economic growth, you get less demand, you get less demand, you get less inflation. That brings yields down. Why? Yields are a function of inflation and economic growth, not debts and deficits. So if you want to know where yields are going, track GDP, track inflation, and that's going to tell you where yields are going to wind up. And, you know, if the target for the Federal Reserve is 2% on inflation and 2% on economic growth, which it is, then your interest rate is going to be 2%. That's easy math, right? So you've got guy math, you've got girl math, now you've got bond math. 
So it's pretty easy math uh, at the end of the day. All this other stuff is rhetoric. It's for headlines. It's to, you know, you know, get views and clicks. And the more bearish it is, the more you're going to watch it and because and, you revel in watching train wrecks. But that's not a great way to manage your portfolio. So I encourage you to step away from it, turn that stuff off, and focus on what's important. You know, and this is why during the trading day, I don't have any news on. I don't watch CNBC. I don't watch, you know, Fox Business during the day, you know, I, because it's distracting from the analysis that you need to do to manage your portfolio. And, and again, it's just a function of, of trying not to get diverted by headlines. So try turning some of the media off and you'll do better. Um, but like I said, though, this is a problem for the Fed. If interest rates decline now and bond prices go up, so if interest rates fall, though, that increases the ability for consumers to spend money. If interest rates decline, bond prices go up, and stock prices go up, as we saw last week, that increases consumer confidence. There is a very decent correlation between consumer confidence and the stock market. If stock market prices rise, people have more money in their bank account, they feel better because their 401k plan went up, their investment account went up, so they go out and spend more money. That keeps the pressure on inflation intact, which is not what the Fed wants. And we've talked about this before. You know, the Fed wants interest rates to do their job of tightening monetary liquidity in order to reduce consumption and bring down inflation. The problem is, is that if yields fall too quickly too soon, then that is going to undermine what they're trying to do, or at least slow down that rate. So what they while they don't want a recession, right? They do want higher unemployment. They do want slower activity in the economy in order to bring down that inflationary pressure. So if the market keeps rallying here to, to new highs uh, between now and December, which I don't think is the case, but if they, they do continue to rally, that is going to put some pressure back on the Fed to reverse some of their recent statements about yields doing their job for them, those type of things. And that, that context of one more rate hike is going to come back. So that's something to keep a watch on as we get into the December meeting. And of course, it'll depend on where the markets are when we get there and where yields are at that point. Uh, this recent drop in yields is not enough to change any of that rhetoric because yields are still su substantially higher than they were you know, earlier this year. So you know, just because yields declined here a bit over the last week, that's not going to change the, the Fed's tone. But if yields were at, say, 4% by the next meeting, that's going to change the tone. That's not going to happen, by the way. But if it did, that would change the Fed's tone. The, the Fed has a very tough problem that they're having to deal with right now. On one hand, they want higher yields and weaker asset prices to bring down consumer confidence, to bring down inflation. They want that. On the other hand, they can't let it get too far out of hand because what they don't want is deflation, deep recession. So they're walking a very fine line. If things start to break in the financial system, right, you start getting a, a rash of, of you know, uh, bank defaults or whatever it is, 
then the Fed's going to be in a very tough box of trying to maintain this higher interest rate status. And they're going to, at some point, have to abandon this inflation fight. And, what, and they'll do that by simply saying that inflation's coming down to our target. We've got a clear trajectory. We need now, now need to focus on the economy or the financial system or whatever it is they've got to bail out. So they'll make this transition through commentary away from their inflation fight to having to fix whatever they broke. And that's that's a function of co what's coming potentially next year. We'll see. But, you know, if you take a look at interest rate hikes and the Fed has talked about the lag effect, that's six to nine quarters. And we're now in that window, six quarters from the, the initial rate hike in March of 2022. So we're now in that window this quarter, next quarter, for getting into that lag effect really impacting economic activity. And this is one we've talked about before is that, you know, the rate hikes were there. Everybody was expecting a recession in 2022. It didn't occur. Now everybody says no recession. It just, it wasn't time yet. We had too much monetary uh, stimulus still in the system. We were working that out of the system. Now we, those lag effects are beginning to take hold and we're beginning to see that effect. And that's why we're saying that 2024, if there's, you know, if you're going to have a risk of recession, it's going to be in 2024. Now, how big is that recession going to be? It's not going to be the financial crisis event. And there's a couple of reasons why. First of all, there's still a lot of liquidity still floating around the system. Uh, the CHIPS Act, the Inflation Reduction Act, hangovers from the COVID spending, et cetera. That's still in there. That's providing some cushion. The other reason is, is that employment, we're not going to have a massive shoot up in unemployment. You know, we're not going to see 10% unemployment rates, most likely. Now, look, anything's possible, but most likely we're not going to see un unemployment rates hit, you know, 9, 10, 11% like we did during the financial crisis. And that was because we never hired, you know, we, we just went through 2020 and we fired everybody and we just hired those people back. That's all we've done. So a lot of companies, they're fully, they have full employment, but they're not overemployed. So if demand falls some, yeah, we may see some, some layoffs on a minor side, but we're not going to see just a massive expungement of employment because companies are not overemployed and they're or, you know, they don't have too many employees. And, and so they're going to be trying to hang on to what employees they have you know, to work through whatever period we go through. So we're not likely going to see a recession where we have a massive spike in unemployment, and that'll limit the downside of the recession to some degree. We still have a recession, mind you, right? Um, but it's just not going to be this deep, most likely, and, and you know, you can't rule out anything, but most likely it's not going to be this deep, disastrous financial crisis event unless, right, we completely pop some type of financial credit issue somewhere, whether it's leveraged loans or, you know, whatever it is uh, that's out there. I don't see anything out there of magnitude that could cause that situation. We don't have a subprime situation like we did back in 2007. But certainly a moderate recession, which would lead to a contraction in earnings, a decline in asset prices of, you know, 10, 15, 20%, not, not the end of the world. But that would probably be the outcome of what we're looking for. Now, in that type of environment, yields are going to fall back towards 1.5% to 2%. Bond prices are going to double. And that's why stocks, you know, bonds will most likely outperform stocks over the next couple of years. 
when that occurs. But again, how all this unwinds, again, we can make very bearish scenarios. I'm trying to be somewhat, you know, kind of balanced. But we can certainly spin out very bearish scenarios and we can spin out very optimistic scenarios of no recession at all. Don't see that. Don't, don't see either one of those two extremes being the real possibility or the probability. Those are certainly possibilities. As we talked about in our newsletter two weeks ago, possibilities versus probabilities. You know, we have to navigate for that, you know, middle of the bell curve because that's what's going to happen most of the time. And, you know, the way the economy is set up, the way things are are kind of positioned both financially and fundamentally in the markets right now. We can certainly see a slowdown. We can certainly see a contraction in asset prices, a decline in valuations. Certainly, that's a real probability. The more extreme outcomes that people are, you know, promoting on YouTube channels or whatever it is about, you know, a, a variety of, of super bearish outcomes, likely not going to happen. And so betting on those are probably not a great way to invest your capital. So just something to think about. Anyway, um, come back. We'll wrap up the show for this Tuesday. So don't go away. More of the Real Investment Show coming right up. investment news you can use delivered at the speed of the internet at realinvestmentadvice.com so this morning uh as i said earlier futures pointing down here just a little bit at the open that doesn't mean we're going to be negative all day and the futures are not down that much uh we're going to be kind of wrestling with a 50-day moving average the market broke above the 50-day moving average um <clears throat> on friday uh with that move held above it yesterday so that's that's kind of good news um flirted with it a little bit uh yesterday held on to it uh, through the end of the day this morning we're going to test it again uh that that's you know that kind of action is very normal um you know I got an email um, this morning uh, from somebody watching the show, and I've been getting a lot of emails lately, like, you know, we miss you on Saturday with Adam. And, you know, I was like, hey, you know what? We do a radio show every day. Most people didn't know this, but, you know, we do a radio show every day, blah, blah, blah. So, you know, but it, he says basically, you know, he says, I, you know, I kind of understand the technical thing that has to do with psychology. I really don't understand technicals. And technicals really are not, that, that seems complicated, right? So, you know, it's interesting that people are investing their money. This is always kind of fascinating to me. Like they're throwing their money to the market. They're buying whatever it is that somebody on television tells you to buy. But you're not really doing the fundamental research, right? And you're not doing any technical analysis. So how are you buying stuff? Right? I mean, are you just kind of throwing a dart at a dartboard? I mean, you know, 
understanding basic fundamentals, you know, price to sales ratio, price to, you know, price to earnings, um, you know, debt to equity ratios, you know, those type of things. Those are those are important. Are they growing earnings or are they not growing earnings? Are they growing revenue or are they not growing revenue? Those are important things to know about companies you're investing in, not just because, oh, I like, you know, I like this stock because it has a high dividend. Well, sometimes it has a high dividend for a reason. And you need to know that. So having some basic understanding of the fundamental side of the ledger is very important if you're going to be investing your capital into individual. Now, if you're just buying ETFs, who cares, right? Buy an S&P, close your eyes, and, in, and probably in 20 years, it'll be higher than it is today. That's just inflation and economic growth. But, you know, if you're buying individual equities, you got to at least have some type of basis to work with. And then if you, if you say, so, so then if you identify a company, Say, okay, well, I want to buy, you know, Apple. I'm just going to, I'm going to pick on Apple because we, we trimmed Apple back yesterday in our portfolios. Why? They're not growing earnings. In their latest report, they're not growing revenue. Now, you, you can't not own it because it's in the top five stocks. So every time somebody buys an ETF, money flows right into that company on a disproportionate weight and basis. So you've got to own it, but you know we just don't want to own as much of it because it's not growing revenue. There's other companies, Microsoft and Google as an example, which are growing revenue very quickly, much stronger. But even once you make that fundamental decision, you've got to kind of understand a little bit about technical analysis, just understand you know when to buy it. Is it you know because you can buy it when it's extremely overbought and it's going to go down in price, even though you bought a good company. You could buy it at the wrong time. So technical analysis, just some basic understanding. What, what's a moving average, right? It's the, it's the average price of a stock over the last 50 days, 200 days, 100 days, whatever the time period is. And it just tells you where the, where it, it, you know, it takes the volatility out of the pricing, right? You don't get those day-to-day -day swings, right? You can see, okay, over the last 50 days, the stock is traded here normally. It's been around this average normally over the last 50 days. It's been above it, below it. So if I'm below it, then probably I have a better opportunity to buy it and make some money in the short term than if I buy it when it's well above that 50-day moving average or the 200-day or the 100-day or whatever it is. You know, understanding a little bit about Bollinger Bands, I think Bollinger Bands are extremely important because it, that's telling you if something is really overbought or, you know, deviated too far above or below its normal range. And if it is it's probably either a good time to take some profits or add to your position, depending on where it is. And these are not complicated concepts. You know, um, the moving average convergence-divergence indicator, which just measures the spread between two moving averages, gives you a good indication of when stocks are, are trending negatively or trending positively. There's so again, just having some basic understanding about just a couple of technical indicators. You don't have to get all off into the weeds and get into, you know, all the the technical mumbo jumbo that's out there. And if you if you do, that's fine, right? I, I know some great technical analysts that know everything there is to know about every type of technical analysis there is, and that's great, right? But as an individual investor managing your own money, you just need a basic understanding of price because price is the reflection of psychology in the markets. No more, no less. That's all it is. 
It's what happened yesterday. It's not going to tell you what's going to happen tomorrow with any degree of certainty. But it can help you identify periods where the opportunity to buy or sell may be there for you. Combine that with the fundamentals and you have a better shot at A, protecting capital and B, growing it over the longer term. And it doesn't work all the time. There's going to be times where you're going to make a bet on a technical basis on a fundamentally good company and it's not going to work because something happens in the markets. They, they say something. Um, you know, we saw this with, you know, companies this whole earnings season, right? They have good earnings report and then a little bit of soft guidance for the rest of this year and the stock sells off 5%, right? That, that stuff happens. You cannot get around that. That doesn't mean that the technicals are broken or that you're stupid or that the fundamentals don't work. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means there are things that happen in the markets that occur, and we just have to adjust and adapt for that and then, and then move on. But more often than not, having some basis of fundamentals and technicals is going to help you be a better investor. It'll help you have better outcomes over time. Again, not all the time. Nothing works 100% of the time. But it's going to work more often than not. And, see, and the problem that most people get themselves into is that when something doesn't immediately work, they abandon it. Or the first time it doesn't work, they abandon it. But that's not investing, right? Investing is about discipline and patience. And that's, that means you're going to have to go through periods where it seems like nothing's working. This year is one of those years. Nothing's working this year unless you just own seven stocks. Small cap, mid cap, international, emerging markets, bonds, nothing's working to any great degree. Got to get through this period in one piece. If you can just get through this period in one piece, it'll get better. I promise you it'll get better. But we're going to have to get through this. And this is one of those periods where just nothing seems to work like it should. We'll get through this. And things will get better. You have to get through this period without making any big mistakes that cost you a tremendous amount of capital. But opportunity exists. And, you know, it's important, uh, you know, it's like your own psychology is also very important. Being extremely bearish in your views is a terrible way to make money over time because you won't take advantage of opportunities when they exist. You will never meet a business owner that is bearish. The reason is, is that you can't operate a business if you think you're going out of business every single day. You won't make good decisions and you will put yourself out of business with those views. So business owners by nature are optimistic. They have to be. They have to look forward and say, you know, I know things are going to get better. I'm going to do this, this and this, and I'm going to increase my sales and I'm going to do you know, X, Y and Z and I'm going to grow my business. They are optimistic. They're always looking for the future to be better. As an investor, you have to do the same thing. You have to be optimistic about the future because if you aren't, you're going to put yourself in a situation where you're going to miss out on opportunity and you're going to lose money. And so this, so it's important. Your, psycholo your, your, your psychology is a, as just as important as understanding the fundamentals and the technicals. 
you have to be optimistic. You have to have confidence in yourself that what you're doing will work. It's not going to work all the time. It's not going to work every day. But you've got to be optimistic about the future. And you've got to be focused on being optimistic and taking advantage of opportunity and avoiding those more negative sentiments that keep you from taking advantage of opportunity when it exists. So, anyway, futures are going to be down a little bit this morning. Not surprising after such a strong rally. Where we finish today will be important. Can we hold above the 50-day moving average? That's going to be kind of the case. Uh, yields are a little bit lower this morning as well. So, you know, we'll, we'll kind of see. Um, you know, we're starting to see kind of, you know, some changes Um more and more central banks are kind of moving towards this hold status on further rate hikes. We're starting to see more commentary around, you know, potentially pausing uh, from a variety of banks. Uh, we've got several uh, two Fed speakers out today as well. So it'll be interesting to see what this is now. They're past their blackout period. So now we'll get a couple of Fed speakers that come out today to tell us a little bit about what's kind of been happening since the last FOMC meeting. So it'll be interesting to see if they hold that line that higher yields are doing the job and the Fed doesn't need to hike rates right now, or if if this recent rally in bond yields is starting to, to undermine that. So it'll be important to listen to what they say. And we'll talk about that more on Thursday uh, when Michael Leibowitz is here as well. Uh, in the meantime, have a great day. We'll see you back here tomorrow on the next edition of The Real Investment Show with Danny Ratliff and myself. Don't go away. We'll see you then. Bye.